Hello and welcome back. There will be spoilers, 100 films, 100 podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are back with number 44 on that top 100 list, 1940s, The Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story. We've got a lot of returning actors in this one. We do. A lot of returning actors. We've got Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn! And James Stewart. James Stewart. So Cary Grant we've seen in, uh, most recently, in Vertigo. No. No, James James Stewart was uh, Rear Window. Yes. We haven't seen <laughs> Vertigo. Yes, we have not yet seen Vertigo. North by Northwest was the one I was thinking of, was Cary yes, Grant. Yes, with Cary Grant. But we also saw Cary Grant in Bringing Up Baby. Along with Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn! And this is two years after Bringing Up Baby? Which was a failure, a commercial failure. So one has to think that there's some kind of interplay between these two films, right? Because it's a couple, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, and then at the start of this film, they're divorced. Yes. So let's talk about this a little bit, Ethan. Do you think we should just get started with a plot synopsis? The Philadelphia story is the story of socialite Tracy Lord, who at the start of the film divorces her husband with a ridiculous name, C.K. Dexter Haven, a yacht builder. Her main issue with Dexter is his drinking, and because she scorned his drinking so much, he drank more, and the cycle continued. Two years later, Tracy is gearing up to marry again, this time to self-made man George Kittredge. The head of Spy Magazine, Sidney Kidd, hopes to cover the wedding in his tabloid, so he sets uh, Macaulay Connor and Liz Imbry on the trail. They will gain access through Dexter, who plans on introducing them as friends of Tracy's brother, who lives in Argentina. While they don't fool Tracy, Dexter threatens to blackmail as he knows about her father's affair with a younger dancer, which has led Tracy's mother to live apart from her father. Dexter is welcomed back uh, with open arms by Dinah, Tracy's teenage sister, and her mother, um, and Tracy runs Lynn and McCully, or Mike as he's called, through the ringer. However, she discovers that Mike has written a book of short stories, which she finds to be quite good, and the two begin to connect. At the same time, she and Dexter exchange quip after quip. The night before her wedding, her uncle throws an extravagant party, and Tracy gets drunk for only the second time in her life. Late in the evening, she and Mike sneak away and talk, and the two eventually share a kiss, but they stop themselves before it goes any further. However, they do go for a midnight swim together. Later, George and Dexter discover the two, and George is outraged, though Dexter knows that their interaction was harmless. The next day, everybody fights mighty hangovers, and Tracy pieces together the previous night, realizing the implications. George attempts to break off the engagement, but when he realizes that nothing really happened, he walks it back. But Tracy, on the other hand, doubles down and refuses to marry him, realizing that she has held everyone to too high of a standard, including herself. However, the guests have already arrived for her wedding, so Tracy scrambles to fix the situation. Mike offers to marry her, and Liz is, of course, appalled because they're dating, but Dexter offers to marry her again, and she agrees, and they go on to live happily ever after well i'm not so sure but happily ever after we don't really get to see that <laughs> last thing we get is the done photo of them at the wedding yes but i like to think that they live happily ever after so how did you feel about this movie Ethan? you know i'm I, it wasn't a bad movie by any means but it was not 
I would not call this a riveting film. I think my issue with staying engaged with this film is I just never knew who to root for or who to be engaged with throughout the film. Yeah, because it's unclear. Also, I was confused by some of the names. Kitrich and Kid, I mixed up a lot. And so I was like, who is, what is happening? Um, and, and I'm with you. I wasn't ever quite sure if we like Tracy or if we don't like Tracy uh, or if we like Dexter or if we're really supposed to root for Mike. But Mike, of course, is flirting with Tracy but is dating Liz but Liz seems to be okay with the fact that he's got a wandering eye because she feels safe because Tracy's getting married I there's just a lot of things going on and while I think the interactions are all fun and interesting to a point I, I just I was sort of with you I don't know who I didn't know really who to root for and then the ending was quite confusing too right where Mike offers to marry her and She's like, no, I don't think so. And then Dexter's like, yo, let's just get married again like we should have. And I was like, whoa, that kind of came out of left field a little bit. So I think we can definitely root for Dinah in this movie. Dinah's great. Yes, I really enjoyed Dinah. The little sister. And she has that where she gets all dressed up and she puts her ballet shoes on and has like really expensive jewelry and they're all saying French and she's doing the piano. That's a pretty <laughs> funny scene. But James yes. Stewart won the Best Actor Academy Award for this film. Which I guess I can see. Uh, I mean, it's a good performance. I just was unsure of everyone's motivations, I guess. Well, I think because I knew that before starting the film that he had won the Academy Award for Best Actor, that I said, oh, surely he's going to be... Our protagonist this is who we root for right and that turned out not really to be the case i will say though to clarify liz's position she doesn't feel that tracy is safe she actually wants mike to grow up a little bit she right. wants him to experience this she's kind of more mature than he is and so She's like, look, this is kind of a situation where he's going to fall in love with her, but she's getting married the next day. So he's going to experience a little bit of heartbreak. It might be a little sober up a little bit in terms of love. And then he'll want to marry me. But the ending of the film, Tracy shoots him down, even though she's like, yeah, I'm into it. You're into it. But I don't know. It probably wouldn't work out. And, and Liz wouldn't like it. So she's like doing Liz a favor by not taking her man, which is kind of a weird moment. Right, and I mean, the motivation to, like, have your boyfriend have basically an affair to grow up is such a strange thing. <laughs> it's very strange for a Western audience, I would agree, but at the same time, it is probably the most sage thing one can do. True. And it's so unselfish that it's just flabbergasting, certainly to me. Yeah. But, so Liz is actually a good character here, too, but I just hated Cary Grant for most of the film. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I hated him or, I mean, he is quite charming, but I, but I was always sort of like, what, what's your game, dude? Like, are you really, you don't seem to really be trying to get back at your ex-wife, which of course, I guess at the end of the film, he's, he's not really trying to get back at he's her. He's basically masterminding this whole thing to get back together with her. Right, to get back with her, right? Um, Which is so strange, and... You know, even at the outset, it's kind of unclear as to why they break up. And he almost hits her. 
<laughs> which was I was like, whoa! Well, he do- the first thing we see of him is he's leaving and he does hit her. Well, he, like, he pushes her face into the ground. Yes, but he he pulls his fist back like he's gonna punch her, uh, and then he. Uh, you know, Only does. face shoves her to the floor. You're right, Ethan. He right. really tones that one down. <laughs> I mean, I just it just shocked me when he pulled his fist back, and I was like, "Oh my god, is this going to start with a wife beater?" I mean, I guess what he did is nominally better, but still not good. I guess he's a drunk at that point, and maybe that's what we're supposed to chalk that up to. I guess. But we'll get to this in our three questions later. But I think that's certainly something that really confuses the plot for us as a modern audience, as in who we're supposed to be rooting for. Because they've got some weird politics going on, domestically speaking, mm-hmm. that we really can't abide with today. Yeah, yeah. In any case, Ethan, I think now's a good time to turn to our pivotal scene. Because what really allowed me to gain traction in this film was this scene and how it's paid off later throughout the film. Mm-hmm. This occurs roughly the halfway mark, about 45 minutes in. It is Dexter and Tracy having their discussion about... The first time Tracy got drunk, she's howling naked to the moon. To the moon. And this illustrates to Dexter that she's human, and yet she conveniently forgets this fact so that she can be a goddess, right? This virginal goddess, this virginal chaste goddess. Yes, I I have a quick question about that. Yeah. Was the implication, did you you understand the implication of that to be that she was frigid, which is to say that she wouldn't have sex with him? I think you may be able to read that but i would assume that that is not the case that she is just cold but she still performs what 1940s would call wifely duties yeah because it just kind of seemed strange to me that they returned to this idea of chaste and virginal goddess dumb over and over again and i was like are they trying to say that she wouldn't fuck him i think it's just that they're cold terms and she dislikes them because they paint her as a cold figure Okay. Which she is, right? She's statuesque in her depiction of the relationship. We really don't get to see her so much that way. She's kind of a lot more warm. But then again, we don't get to see Dexter as a raving alcoholic, except for that very first scene, which is admittedly out of context, but placed in there purposefully, right? True. True. So let's listen to the scene. It's a little bit longer, but I like the way this develops. Connor's there. They're going for the swim, and they're talking about how Tracy is really... Oh, I don't know, lording herself over others? <laughs> okay, here it is. I never saw you looking better, Red. You're getting that fine, tawny look. Oh, we're going to talk about me, are we? Goody. It's astonishing what money can do for people. Don't you agree, Mr. Connor? Not too much, you know, just more than enough. Now, take Tracy, for example. There's never a blow that hasn't been softened for her. Never a blow that won't be softened. As a matter of fact, it even changed her shape. She was a dumpy little thing at one time. Only as it happens, I'm not interested in myself for the moment. Not interested in yourself? You're fascinated, Red. You're far and away your favorite person in the world. Dexter, in case you don't know... Of course, Mr. Connor, she's a girl who's generous to a fault. To a fault, Mr. Connor. Uh, Except to other people's faults. For instance, she never had any understanding of my deep and gorgeous thirst. That was your problem. Granted. But you took on that problem with me when you took me, Red. You were no helpmate there. You were a scold. It was disgusting. It made you so unattractive. Mm, A weakness, sure. And strength is her religion, Mr. Connor. She finds human imperfection unforgivable. When I gradually discovered that my relationship to her was supposed to be not that of a loving husband and a good companion, but... Oh, never mind. Say it. 
but that of a kind of high priest to a virgin goddess. Then my drinks grew deeper and more frequent, that's all. I never considered you as that, nor myself. You did, without knowing it. Oh, and the night that you got drunk on champagne and climbed out on the roof and stood there, naked, with your arms out to the moon, waiting like a banshee. <laughs> I told you I never had the slightest recollection of doing any such thing. I know, you drew a blank. You wanted to. Mr. Connor, what would you... Oh. A nice story for spy, incidentally. Uh, too bad we can't supply photographs of you on the roof. Honestly, the fuss you made over that silly, childish... It was enormously important and most revealing. The moon is also a goddess. Chaste and virginal. Stop using those foul words. Dexter, what are you trying to make me out as? Tracy, what do you fancy yourself as? I don't know that I fancy myself when as... I read a... you are going to marry Kittredge, I couldn't believe it. That's why I'm here. How in the world could he even think of it? Because he's everything you're not. Mm. He's been poor, he's had to work, and he's had to fight for everything. And I love him as I never even began to love you. Maybe so, but I doubt it. I think it's just a swing for me. But it's too violent a swing. Kittredge is no great tower of strength, you know, Tracy. He's just a tower. You hardly know him. But I hardly know him as to know him well. And perhaps it offends my vanity to have anyone who was even remotely my wife remarry so obviously beneath her. But how dare you, any of you, in this day and age, you such an idiotic... I'm talking about the difference in mind and spirit. You could marry Mac, the night watchman. I'd cheer for you. Kittredge is not for you. You bet he's for me. He's a great man and a good man. Already, he's of national importance. Mm -hmm. You sound like spy magazine talking. But whatever he is, Tuts, you'll have to stick. He'll give you no out as I did. I won't require one. So this scene is paid off a number of times later because everyone keeps wanting to paint Tracy as this goddess figure to be worshipped rather than loved for her humanity. Her father lay some truth on her again in a way that's like i'm not fully behind because it's this weird 1940s sort of politicking thing he eventually says to her that the reason he had affairs was really because of tracy right that made no sense to me i was very confused there's all this <laughs> justification for what men do because of women like Dexter is a drunk and she was supposed to help him because she took on that problem and right. she made it worse. So he got to be a worse alcoholic because of her. So there's a lot of aspects. And again, I think this plays into our idea of like, it's hard to follow someone as a hero because of these things. But this is also Connor's turning point where he recognizes her as a human, that she's passionate. She's fiery. She's not this cold statuesque virginal goddess. Yeah. Kittred sees her as someone to be worshipped, right? He uses the exact same vernacular or language to say this. And that's what really solidifies for her that she doesn't want to marry him because he sees her in the same way that everyone else in her life has seen her. And so she has held herself to too high a standard, like you've mentioned. And she really needs to kind of be more human. And I think that's why she marries Dexter at the end. Dexter is a recovering alcoholic and she's now a recovering i don't know <laughs> what, what what do you want to call that she's recovering from her perfection uh, complex perfect, yeah recovering perfectionist i guess which i guess perhaps this is why it's hard to find a protagonist that we feel good about because i think at some level this film is about 
people being flawed, right? I mean, that's Tracy's problem is that she can't get past people's flaws. She herself is flawed. Uh, that sort of thing. I would really like to read the play because surprise, surprise, a top 100 film. adaptation. Yep. I'd like to read the play to see if this is made more clear, if their characterizations are done in any different way. I mean, seeing it on the page, too, might give us some more context. The way that this is acted out, sometimes I feel... I just felt really disconnected from the film. Like, they were saying things a certain way, but the way Cary Grant was acting his lines made me feel opposed to him. And then sometimes he was just charming, but also just a complete asshole in terms of the things he was saying. And it was just really hard to to level with this film, I think. Well, and, you know, it also doesn't help that this film is so wrapped up in politics of money um and and the idea that you know Cary Grant is a fucking yacht designer um Tracy Lord is a she's just rich because she's rich her family's rich they live in mansions you know and then you get uh uh James Stewart who comes in and at first is pretty kind of grossed out by the excessive wealth right and so i think maybe at some point it's kind of it's hard to really sink my teeth into it because i'm like this is about like the kind of people that i want nothing to do with you know what i mean like that's just excessive gross wealth and i think there's actually a through line with this starting first with that pivotal scene where she says oh, I can't believe you talk about class because Dexter had just said, I can't believe you'd marry someone so beneath you. And she's like, oh, Kittredge, yeah, he was poor and he, he's a self-made man, right? American Dream, he's rich now. How can you talk about class? And he's like, no, 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 not below you in money, but in spirit. Spirit, so yeah. So Dexter doesn't apply to these money makes things, but at the same time, as a yacht designer who makes a lot of money, he's allowed to do that. Right, he has, he has the ability to not care about it, right? Yeah, and just like the whole conceit of this film is that these two very wealthy people are divorced. This woman was able to divorce this man in 1940. Right. That is highly irregular. So we're already dealing with exceptional circumstances. And one of the through lines of the film, you can read as Tracy Lord learning to be human by slumming it with James Stewart. Yeah, definitely. And well, and I think that you pointed out something interesting with that line about like he doesn't equal you in spirit or whatever which i thought and this is maybe again why the film is a little confusing for me i thought that that was really setting us up for her to get with cary grant at the end uh or not cary grant um james stewart at the end and then uh liz uh james stewart's love interest would i guess hook up with cary grant or maybe the old guy that seems to be pulling her around the whole party i i don't know i just was it just was kind of there are just there are weird beats in this film and i don't know what to do with them and this film won a lot of fucking awards i ooh. well ethan what i think might be useful if we just turn to our three questions now because i think actually viewing some of these issues we're having with the film through this lens can be very profitable yeah let's do that okay so what do we owe to this film I don't know. <laughs> well, that's okay. I've I've got a very specific thing I want to say about this. Good. I think we see some of Sullivan's travels here. Sure. Sullivan's travels comes after, but maybe it's part of a thematic conversation that's going on around this yeah. time because we have 
the made individual, right? The person who has achieved the American dream. Right. They have either made themselves in Sullivan Stradley's movie director. Tracy Lore obviously inherited all this, but her father, I guess we're supposed to assume, is a made man. And Kittredge is. And it seems like Cary Grant's character is as well, perhaps. So there's something about this idea that you can achieve the American dream, but you might lose some of your humanity in the process. And you have to get back to this lower class roots, right? Yeah. To figure this out. Yeah. I think perhaps that there is a sort of cultural conversation about this in film at this moment. Um, And, you know, I mean, we are, I mean, this is, maybe this has something to do with World War II. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, we're talking about early 40s stuff here. Which, as a slight aside, James Stewart's character, Connor or Mike McCauley, however you want to... They, they all have so many names, too, which is part of the confusion, I know, I, I know, because they, they all have first names and second names that sound like for, either... For, Dexter, uh, Connor, uh, there I'm like, who the fuck is who? <laughs> that right. got frustrating at one point. Connor, when he's doing his impassioned speech to tracy at night the sort of 4 a.m thing he says holocausts which oh i didn't catch that i understand was a term before but it just felt a little strange to me i know i and i know probably by 1940 a lot of the stuff isn't known by the american public right but it just felt like as a 2018 viewer that was one of the moments you're kind of like ooh, e yeah also, I think this film owes a great deal to a Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh yes, you I are saw right. So much of this across this film, and it's really what helped make this legible for me. And yes. that's why when you had said, "Oh, I thought Cary Grant and Liz Embry, who is Mike's girlfriend, were going to get together," I fully saw that too because we're seeing all the pairs rearranging. But at the end, what happens? We reaffirm. The initial status quo, because the very beginning of the film, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn are married. And so we get back to that starting point. Mike goes back with Liz and maybe something about their parents relationship, Tracy and Dinah's parents. Seems like they've taken some steps forward by the end of that. There's sort of a reconciliation with Tracy, which was listed as the reason for the separation. So maybe there's also some restitution there. Yeah, no, I I think that's actually a really good way to think about this film as some sort of um, intertextual thing with uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. That makes this a lot more cogent, clear. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great insight. And instead of like the love potion that we get from Shakespeare, we are wrapped up in class, money passion which very similar to the love potion right the sort of mm-hmm. inexplicability of passion and so and i booze. think a lot of the, and booze lots of yeah <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol the alcohol is the magic changer right it's it's literally alcohol that allows Cary grant's character to find his own faults and then come out of them it was also his way of coping with it it is also tracy's way of finding out that she's human so mm-hmm. maybe alcohol is the love potion of shakespeare Right. Perhaps alcohol is the true protagonist of this film, a statement I can get on board with because I love alcohol. <laughs> well, I thought you were like Tracy and only ever been drunk twice in your life. Only twi- twice. And the first time I uh, 
took off all my clothes and howled the moon. The second time is I right kissed... now while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not drunk this time. The, no, I kissed James Stewart. Don't you remember? Oh, right. Yeah. And it was really awkward for me because I was standing right there. And of course, he is dead. So I don't know. I was out of my head, man. I was like, it, it, I needed to use some Listerine afterwards. I really said we should have gone to that cemetery. Uh, well, I mean, I don't, we just, I don't know why you let me drive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do we care about this movie? I mean, I I have to say yes, only because I did a little bit of reading and understand that this is Catherine Hepburn's comeback film. She did not do terribly well in the box office in several previous films. Um, and this was her her sort of comeback. And Catherine Hepburn is, I think, one of the more important actresses of the early 20th century because she does play these independent, strong women that, you know, do shit like wear pants, which is a kind of a big deal uh, in the 30s and 40s. Which is something the director tried to put the kibosh on. Right. And she would not have it. Uh, She was both a strong woman in her roles and in uh, her life, which I think is important. She also funded... Uh, and I, I don't know if she bought the rights exactly to this or there was, she was throwing money at it. No, Howard Hughes bought the rights for her. Oh, for her. Yeah. And she, but did she produce, though? She was listed as a What she did maybe? is she also gave away her salary in order to receive 45% of the profits for this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Cary Grant demanded like a bunch of money. and Everyone's like, oh, this guy's kind of a dick. And then he got he it and it. gave all of it to the British war effort, relief effort. Yeah. So it's like, Because, of course, okay. Cary Grant is uh, an expat. He is originally uh, British. There is a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on in this film, which is outside of the film, right? Yeah. That I think leads us to care more about it. Yeah. Even though the film itself, I thought, was a poor substitute for It Happened One Night. Yes, I think yes. it's poor comparison in comparison to that. I really like that film. I thought the ending was far more impactful. This ending very much was a quick and tidy Shakespeare comedy where yeah. you end with a couple marriages and wrap things up. Yeah, I, I I can kind of follow you there. I this film again, I think it was good. I think it was tight. I think it was you know fun and kind of interesting, but it just wasn't compelling in the way that some of the other films have been and perhaps that has to do with my viewing this afternoon um or i guess this morning uh i i don't know it's hard to tell but i i just i thought some of the other films from this era that we've seen with some of these actors already were a little more compelling than this one um for i guess a lot of different little reasons that build up into this (laughs) <laughs> well, let's go to our third and final question. Does this film hold up? Um, I think the answer is yes to a point. I mean, yes, I, it's it doesn't glaringly not hold up by any means. By any means, Ethan? Really? Well, not by any means. I think that it. I think that this is it, this film is not unwatchable. There have certainly been other films on the list that we found to be. Um, less than watchable and this is inoffensive for the most part uh it's the sort of thing that you know is on tv in the afternoon and you watch some of it but you don't pay that close of attention you know what i mean so 
I think I lean on the spectrum of yes and no, which funny statement that way, but I feel like the more episodes we do of this, the more I think that becomes a broader question, less binary. Yeah. I lean closer to no on this one because I think the movie really put me out of it because we have some antiquated politics, some ideas of yeah. wealth that I can't identify with as yeah. someone who's a, I suppose, middle-class individual that this like extravagantly wealthy, these extravagantly wealthy characters with all these privileges and agency because of that money have these different squabbles that really aren't that of the middle class. And even when we do present someone like Mike, those things are touched on, but they're never built out at all. They say, oh, he, he'd be a great writer if he didn't have to work or everyone's got to work. But they're just like right. tossed off phrases. They don't really do anything for the film, in my opinion. Yeah, I think perhaps the, the biggest detractor from this film, as you've put it, is the fact that it asks us to admire the wealthy in a way that our cultural moment um, as more liberal leaning people that you and I are um, aren't necessarily willing to do right. Uh, it, it's a lot harder to have sympathy for some of these characters that are just extravagantly wealthy. Um, and it's hard to, it, again, it's hard to admire them. Um, and it's hard to see the sort of self-made man character, the nouveau riche or whatever character kind of get short shrift, even though he's maybe not much of a character at all and more of an obstacle. And then even in that, he's got some politics that perhaps we don't much care for. It, it's hard to see him be the one that they're like, he's the butt of jokes with him getting on the horse and everything. And it's... Uh... Well, this also can be seen as the obstacles of this film, Kit Ridge, and to some extent, Mike, are not the upper class. Like, this is a mm -hmm. film about the upper class prevailing and remaining with the upper class. Yeah. The restitution of this film is that these two rich people have gotten back together. Yeah, yeah. I also think some of the domestic politics, you've got Uncle Willie, who is a womanizer. Yeah. Kind of a pervert, <laughs> uh, sexual assailant. I love that he he orders at the bar, when they go up to the bar, he says, champagne, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> yeah, and he's just plying his tray with a bunch of alcohol. They say, oh, Uncle Willie's a, a pincher, but it's like, okay, that's not really something Right, can... he pinches, uh, what's her name's butt? It's Liz. Just... And then, of course, the father is a flanderer. Right, and he's the, sort of the worst kind and is pretty awful to his daughter. Yeah, so there are some characters that are just not admirable, and like it's not acceptable to do these sorts of things anymore, and so it's hard to get on board in the way we we maybe have with other films from this era. Yeah, so kind of a mixed bag with this one, I think. Yeah. It again, it's a film I think that if you take it face value, if you just read it as a sort of Shakespearean comedy uh, of of errors or whatever, uh it's it's fun and light and don't read too much into it. Uh but when you start to really scratch the surface, it's uh it's less uh Sa not satisfactory uh savory it's less savory it's almost like a podcast about scratching beneath the surface almost like what is it required or indebted to <laughs> deep investigations but right ethan speaking of something of a mixed bag i have heard some things about this next film on our list what's our next film 1969's midnight cowboy 
Midnight Cowboy. I don't have any context for this film. so well, That's great. I'm going to leave you hanging. So I have been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. What a filthy idea coming into our house with a spoiler. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.